reading from the 52nd chapter of the prophet Isaiah, beginning with the 7th verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices, together they sing for joy. For in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel according to John, the first chapter, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through Him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in His name, He gave power to become children of God, who were born not of the blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Did you guys enjoy learning foreign languages in high school? Anybody? I took two years of Spanish. I can barely order a cheeseburger. (laughs) We're going to play with some foreign languages this morning. Specifically, New Testament Greek. Because there are some words that I think every faithful follower of Jesus should know. Because they mean more when you know what's behind it. 
When you see that capitalized word, word, in John's Gospel, it can go right over your head. You wonder, is he just being esoteric or does he have a point? Is it poetry? Well, yes, it is poetry. And isn't it beautiful poetry? I love that whole beginning. In the, in the beginning, the Word existed. The Word was. The Word was in relationship and the Word came. What's behind that capitalized word is the, is the phrase logos in the Greek. Some people say logos is logos. Some people say logos. I like logos because it's in the middle. Y'all can say whatever you want to, but just say that for me. You ready? Logos. Let's say logos. Like good southern Greek readers. We like them under overlined vowels in the south, don't we? That is a word that has been pondered by human beings for centuries before the birth of Jesus. In Greek thought, it was thought to be that, that logic, logic comes from logos, that logic that holds everything in the universe together. Have you ever heard someone say that it's a strange thing that, that something that happened by happenstance according to science is also rigorously ordered mathematically? Have you ever thought about that? The Logos teaches us that that shouldn't be a surprise to us, that everything is underwritten by an activating principle that spoke it into being and ordered it for a purpose. And this Greek word that John uses has that baggage. It means universal divine wisdom. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, that most of Jesus' contemporaries would have known. That word is used for wisdom as well. The wisdom of God. Eternal and unchanging truth. That which can't change. That which undergirds all reality. is logos. Y'all say that word again. It's the activating principle. That's my favorite one, because when I say that, I sound smart. If I say it in a very scholarly voice, you would be impressed, but I'm not going to do that, because today's not about me. But the activating principle, which means that everything existed, existed because of Him. And that thought isn't just shared with us in the Gospel of John. Paul repeats it in Colossians 1, 16-17, and tells us that everything exists, exists for and because of Jesus. The one who is fully human and fully divine. But we're not talking about Hercules here. We're not talking about the concept of a God who comes down and meddles in a, in a woman's life by laying with her and impregnating her somehow. We're not talking about a hybrid. But we're talking about an activating principle, the word that was spoken, the embodiment of the spoken word, the word of God, that which proceeds from God and creates all things, that that existed as the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And that that person took on flesh and became human. Not that Jesus was a hybrid, but that Jesus was both God and human. That Logos took on our flesh and became one of us. The one by whom and for whom we were created became one of us. It also means message. 
That's the reason Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible is called the message. Jesus is a message to us. He brings light and life. A new word. A new word of creation. And that's why John begins his poem with the words, In the beginning so that we would know that this marks the beginning of the new creation, that the coming of the Word in flesh marks the beginning of all things being made new, including me and you. There's another Greek word in this text that I'm glad is there. You want to know what it is? Y'all say yeah. All right. Skenao. It's really eskenosin that's in John's writing. But the root verb is skenao. And the root verb comes from the noun skene, which means tent. So when John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's not just saying that he lived here. It's the same thing that would happen if your relatives showed up and parked an RV in your front yard you know they're not there for the weekend, right? About my second year in ministry, a young fellow named Brandon from my previous appointment said, Pastor David, he said, I know you're going on vacation this week down there at the campground. Can I come put a tent on your, on your uh, campsite and fish with you for a couple of days? Now up to that point, people had told us don't do that. <laughs> All these uh, ministry gurus had told us don't, don't let people... Don't let people get that close to you. And certainly don't let them be around you when you're on vacation. And I thought, eh, that's, that sounds like something I should say no to. But every time I think about this text, I think about what happened after I said yes. Yes. But I gave him one caveat. I said, the first time you say church, you have to go home. I'll roll your tent up myself. <laughs> So Brandon showed up and he pitched his tent on the campsite with me. That's what this text is telling us happened. God came to establish relationship with us. In the birth of Jesus, God comes to be with us. To be in relationship with us. To know us. And get this, so that we could know God. My hope with sharing these words to, with you is that every time you read this, you will realize that it's not as esoteric as it sounds. It's actually very earthy. Something that God spoke. All of us are something that God spoke through Christ. Through this One who comes and takes on flesh. If you've ever bought a cheap can of chili, you know that cheap cans of chili look fancy because they say chili con carne on them, right? You don't want chili without the carne. Anybody like chili with no meat in it? Didn't think so. Sacrilege, isn't it? Incarnation means the same thing, God in the meat. That carne and con carne means with meat. It's the same thing. God comes and pitches a tent with us in the very same form that we have. Not a different form. Not a hybrid form, but the very same form that we have. A very human to show us God's own glory by loving us as one of us. Isn't that awesome? That's what this feast day of Christmas is about. 
celebrating that God came and took on our flesh and took on our being. And because of that, St. Peter says that we can be partakers of the divine nature because Christ gives himself to us. In the broken bread and the cup, this one who took on our flesh gives himself to us and gives us the power to become children of God so that we might reflect the same glory in the world that he reflects. So this day has something important to say to us. Number one, the, the one who holds all things together came to us. Number two, he came to us to establish relationship with us. He pitched a tent in our backyard. And the third one is that we can share in his glory and reflect the glory of God in the world. And if you'll allow it, I want to suggest to you that if you are looking for the meaning of your life, that is it. To reflect the glory of God in the world. read an interesting story recently I want to share with you. It's in a book called Almost Christian. Very troubling book, but worth reading. It says, When Robert Fulgham attended a conference where the peace advocate Alexander Papaderos was speaking, he raised his hand when Papaderos asked if there were any questions. And he asked Dr. Papaderos, What is the meaning of life? Have any of you ever wondered why you're here? What the meaning of your life is? But Papaderos took the question seriously while everyone else just continued packing their stuff up to leave. And he fished a round mirror from his, mirror from his wallet as the room hushed. He began to tell about a day when as a small child in a poor remote village during World War II, he found the pieces of a broken mirror from a German motorcycle. I tried to find all the pieces and put them together, he said, but that was not possible. So I kept only the largest one, this one. And he held up the mirror. He continued, I began to play with it as a boy and became fascinated by the fact that I could reflect light into dark places where the sun would never shine, in deep holes and crevices and dark closets. It became a game for me to get light into the most inaccessible places I could find. I kept the little mirror, and as I went about my growing up, I would take it out in idle moments and continue the challenge of the game. As I became a man, I grew to understand that this was not just a child's game, but a metaphor for what I might do with my life. I came to understand that I am not the light or the source of the light. But light, truth, understanding, knowledge is there. And it will only shine in many dark places if I reflect it. I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of my life. 
So John tells us this word that became flesh came to us and was the life and was the light of all people. And that He has made it possible for us to become children of God. Children who reflect the glory of our Father. And you, dear ones, are little pieces of a mirror in a greater mirror called the church that is empowered by this coming of the Word to light up the dark places in this world where sin and death still seem to rule. This is the meaning of Christmas. And this, dear ones, is the purpose of your life. To reflect the glory of this Word made flesh. By loving God and loving your neighbor. Just as He did. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.